0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good evening, Valleydale and friends. Welcome to our midweek worship experience. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us tonight. Dan wanted to surprise his children and take them to a golf tournament. The PGA Tour was in town and at a nearby golf course. Dan enjoyed playing golf and thought it would be fun to take his children out on Sunday afternoon to enjoy the experience. However, there was one stipulation that he communicated to his children. He said, when we go to church on Sunday morning, you you need to stay away from eating candy at church. And that was the one stipulation. If they did that, they could go to the golf course, and he would surprise them. There was all kind of food there that they could enjoy. Well, you know what happened. Dan went to get his... Uh, children or after church as he was talking to them he learned they had eaten candy at church and Dan was disappointed in a couple of ways first that they had disobeyed him and second because they would miss out on all that that the golf course would offer I mean he still would take them and he would honor that but but he wouldn't let them eat all the treats that they could have had out there on the golf course so as he was talking to them he said um, so you wanted to do things your way, huh? And, and he kept reminding them of that throughout the afternoon, uh, what you wanted to do things your way. And so Dan stayed firm in his parenting, and he made sure that they got, they got to go, but they didn't experience all that they could have because they wanted to do things their way. And even as adults, we often want to do things our way, don't we? You know, Burger King had that slogan for years, have it your way. And we like to do things our way because we often think our way is the best way. But you know, there is an alternative and that's to do things God's way. There's God's way and then there's our way. But see, God's way can be hard sometimes because God's way often involves waiting. And we don't like to wait. We wanna rush, we wanna move on. So we often do things our way. You know, waiting is just part of life. You wait at red lights, you wait in line to get food, You wait for your tax return, you wait for your children to finish practice. Waiting is is part of life, and it's also part of the Christian life. Because as Christians, we are to wait eagerly for the return of Jesus Christ. And there are times when we have to wait for God to make His way and His will clear to us. And when we don't wait and we go ahead and move on and do our will, then problems can arise. Tonight, we're going to talk about waiting on God's timing. We're going to look at two different people and two different stories. One waited on God and was blessed for it. The other did not, and we'll see what happened. And right in the middle of that was the prophet Elisha. He was, he was here, and he was involved in this story as well. And so I want us to look, 2 Kings chapter 8. We continue in our study of Elisha, how God used him to minister to the nation of Israel. And as we'll see tonight... He used him in Syria as well. So 2 Kings chapter 8, we're reintroduced here to the Shunammite woman. You remember her in chapter 4. Remember, Elisha ministered to her. She had the upper room built onto her house, and he would stay there as he passed through. And she had a a child. That son died, and Elisha came and stretched himself out and prayed over this child, and God brought this child back to life. And so now we're taken back to this story. We're going back in time, not necessarily chronologically, but 2 Kings is really ordered according to themes. And so this theme emerges here. Verse 1, Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Now he probably said this right after her son uh, had been raised from the dead. He let her know that God was going to bring a famine uh, in Israel for seven years. And so he tells her to depart, arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine. This famine was probably a result of Israel's idolatry. This would be God's judgment upon Israel. So he says, leave, leave here and go find somewhere to live. Verse 2, so the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household She had a husband, she had a son, and they sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And that land was on the southwest coast of the the, the Judah, the land of Judah. And it was very fertile. Even today, it's a very fertile area. And so that's where she was. And now at the end of that time, verse 3 tells us that at the end of that seven years, she returns now to Israel. And as she returns, we see she has two problems. One, it appears she's without her husband. And possibly her husband died during those seven years. We're not told, but she went with them, but she comes back and we don't read anything about her husband. So that would have been problematic for her. She has no one to represent her. And so without the husband, that's one problem. The second one, she doesn't have a home to go to. Her She had left her home and typically when you left your home and your land, the crown or the government would come in and take possession of your home until you return. So she didn't have property there as of yet, and she's without a husband, and so she goes to see the king. Now, the king was the, uh, the magistrate. He was the, the court uh, person, and so he was the one you would go to for any type of legal matter. And so she goes straight to the king. But look who is also there with the king. Verse 4, now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. That's interesting. Now, this is probably before Gehazi uh, attained leprosy. And so Gehazi is there right at the very moment. This woman is coming back into Israel after having been gone for seven years. It's not a coincidence. This is not fate. This is not just some lucky moment. This was the provision and sovereignty of God. Here comes this woman. She had obeyed God to leave her home. Her, her, she, her Second uh, Kings 4 had said she was wealthy. She left all of that behind, and now she comes back. And at that very moment, Gehazi is there talking to the king. And now look what he's talking to the king about. The king says, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. Now, Gehazi had seen some pretty amazing things. So of all the things that Gehazi could talk about, what's the one thing he chose to talk about here? He says, and verse 5, and while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Shunammite son, how God had brought her child back to life. And she is walking in the door right as he is telling this story. And uh, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. I mean, right at that very moment. And then verse six uh, says, well, the rest of verse five, Gehazi said, my Lord, O oh, King, here's the woman. Here she is. This is the one I was just telling you about. This is her. Oh, you've got to get her to tell this story. You won't believe it. She tells it better than I do. After all, it was her child. And, and it, it, it's amazing. And, so, and she says, and here's her son, whom Elisha restored to life. I mean, here's the proof. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He is right here. Yeah, he's matured. He's about seven years older, but this is him right here. This is the woman who had obeyed God at that very moment. So what does the king do? Verse six, and when the king asked the woman, she told him. So he got to hear the story firsthand. Yeah, my, my child, yeah, he died. He was dead. I went to get the prophet Elisha and he came back and, 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 and God raised him to life. And so she told him the story it said, so the king appointed an official for her saying, restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Now, what was unheard of during this time was for someone to receive the profits of the land while they were gone. It was not unheard of to get your land restored to you, But now she's receiving the profits that they had earned while she was gone. So all those seven years from the very day she had left, as God told her through Elisha, she now is going to be replenished. All of that money is coming back to her. It's amazing. She was living in the land of the Philistines, and she was making money the whole time and just didn't even know it yet. God intervened and met her need. She she obeyed God and God took care of her, and even though she didn't know how it would work out. So, I I have two main points for you tonight, then some application points. Here's the first main point Following God's timing gives us access to God's provision. Following God's timing gives us access to God's provision. She obeyed God and obeyed, obeyed his timing, so she had access to God's provision even though she didn't even know it. She was faithful to God. God honored her obedience and restored her house, land, and money. She experienced a supernatural provision of God because she obeyed him. Mike and Mallory married in 2010. They decided that they would wait a couple of years before they wanted to have children. Well, after about a year, they decided, no, we're we're ready to have children. And so uh, several months went by. They were unable to get pregnant. They went to see a doctor, and the doctor just said, hey, in, in God's timing, you'll be able to get pregnant. And uh, more time, about another year went by, nothing happened. They were getting discouraged. Uh, finally, they, they did get pregnant, and they were excited and began telling family and friends. And then one day, Mallory just said, something doesn't feel right, and, and she had a miscarriage. And they were devastated. They had waited so long, and so several months went by, and they decided, well, we'll try to have children again. And, and they had problems, and, and the months kept going by. And, 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 and finally, one day, they were at church one Sunday, and the, the message was on miracles. And, and it was at the end of the service, and Mike just sat down. He had tears. He was so burdened. And he wrote out on the prayer card that he asked for God's forgiveness. Then he just asked that, that God would give them a child and that, that would people pray for them for God to provide a child. He took the hand of his wife and they came down to the altar and they, they laid that card there on the altar and they, they, they rarely did anything like that, but he was just so moved by the spirit of God, laid that card on the altar. Someone contacted him from the church uh, before too long and, and, and prayed with them and encouraged them. Before, after that, a mentor couple contacted them and got to know them a little bit and shared their heart and their experience with them. And before long, Mike and Mallory were pregnant and they had waited several, two to three years by this point, endured a miscarriage, but in God's timing, after they cried out to him in prayer, God chose to intervene in his timing and provided for them. The Shunammite woman had to wait seven years. Mike and Mallory had to wait two to three years. We never know how long God will allow us or make us wait But when we do things according to His timing, we experience His provision. So I'm going to give you, just in our first story here, two quick application points, and then we'll move on to the next story. First, the certainty of our situation, I'm sorry, the certainty of our salvation does not mean we will not face uncertainty in life. The certainty of our salvation does not mean we will not face uncertainty in life. Just because our salvation is secure doesn't mean we're exempt from uncertainty. This woman did not know where she was going. Elisha just said, just leave, go wherever you can. How how would she make a living wherever she was going? Where was she going? What what was she gonna do when she came back? It was filled with uncertainty. Her salvation was certain, but her future was uncertain in terms of her immediate future. Yet she obeyed God. And she trusted him. Second, we can be sure that we have an advocate just like this woman did. Gehazi was there representing Elisha, talking about the man of God, talking about this woman right when she walked in. He was an advocate for this woman. You and I, as children of God, can be certain that we have an advocate as well. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. First, John 2 says we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our advocate. And so we have him interceding for us. Even now, he satisfied God's wrath in our behalf. And so when we receive him, we have his name upon our lives. Our second point comes from verses 7 through 15. Now, this is a separate story. Elisha, it says, came to Damascus. Now, this is the only story that we know of in the Elisha narrative where he ministered outside of Israel. So he comes to Damascus. ben the king of Syria, was sick. ben had probably been um, leading Syria around you know, 18 to 20 years at least by this point. So he was, he was older. He was sick. We're not sure what sickness he had, but he heard that Elisha was in town. Elisha had made the hundred 125-mile trip to Samaria, and so he's there in the capital city of Syria, and he's perhaps he's there because remember back in, in Mount Sinai when God told Elijah, these are the three people I want you to anoint. One was Elisha, one was Haziel to be king of Syria. Well, Elijah got taken up to heaven. He never did that, so perhaps that's why Elisha is here. He's here to do that, and so Haziel would have been some type of political or military leader. I read he could have been a governor. He was a servant of the king, Ben-Hadad. So Ben-Hadad sends Haziel to the prophet Elisha. And he wants to know, am I going to recover from this sickness? Or am I going to get well or not? So the king tells him, take a present with you to go meet the man of God. So Haziel takes 40 camels worth of goods from from Syria to go meet the prophet Elisha. Forty camels, a whole entourage, and they're going to see Elisha. They're carrying all these goods. These goods would have been things like apricots and dates, trade goods, arms, costly furniture, and wine, all of these things they would have been taking to Elisha. Now, in the ancient world, gifts were given to a deity in order to manipulate and obligate. This king was trying to buy his answer. Well, I'll just pay off Elisha and maybe he'll give me a good report. He'll tell me the sickness will go away. Maybe he'll pray for me. And so um, that's what the king probably has in mind. So here's a pagan Gentile king. He's not seeking Yahweh, but he's interested in what he could do for him. And so Elisha has a message. He says, the king shall recover but he will die. And that seems contradicting at at first sight. Uh, He's going to get well, but then he's going to die. So what what, what does he mean from that? He says, well, Elisha is saying he's going to recover from this sickness. In other words, this sickness will not kill him. Something else will kill him. And we're about to learn what that something else was. You shall certainly recover, but the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. Then at that moment, Elisha just stared right at Haziel. I'm guessing he was quiet. He stared. It probably got very uncomfortable. In fact, it says Haziel just turned away. He was was embarrassed. Now, Elisha was not trying to intimidate him. He was examining him. As, As Elisha was looking at him, God was giving Elisha insight into Haziel's soul. And he was seeing what Haziel was going to do in the future. God just gave him a window of insight at that moment. And he just stared at him. And Haziel was uncomfortable, and so he looked away. And then Elisha just began to weep. He was so moved, so burdened by what was going to happen. He just began to weep, it says in, in verse 11. And the man of God wept. Verse 12, and Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? And then, and then Elisha gives him a very graphic description of why he was weeping. He said, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with a sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. By burning down their fortresses, Israel would not have any buildings to hide behind or rally around. By killing the young men and children, Israel would have no future army. So this... this." Uh, prophecy here is saying God was going to use Haziel in Syria to totally decimate Israel because of their idolatry. It doesn't mean God approved of their actions. It just means God used them because Israel had forsaken him. They had turned their back on him. And so Haziel would be God's chosen instrument of judgment to bring God's wrath and God's judgment upon Israel. And so Elisha can see that. God allows him to see it. He just begins to weep. Now, Elisha could have said, he could have gotten angry and said, well, that's exactly right. That's what Israel deserves. They have turned their back on you. He could have laughed and said, well, I'm not gonna be here to see it. I'm gonna be gone. Someone else will have to deal with that. But he wept because he was burdened about the people of God. Because even in the judgment, there is compassion and there is mercy. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And so Elisha wept. Chapter 13 and verse three, you have to look ahead a few chapters. It says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he, that is God, gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria. It would be fulfilled. This is exactly what God would do to punish his people. Here's our second point, And then I'll give you some subpoints underneath it. Here's the second point. Refusal to follow God's timing reveals our motives. Refusal to follow God's timing reveals our motives. Haziel has certain motives. And I, and I know, I, I don't know Haziel's heart. I, I can't read, I can't see into his heart. I can't see into his soul. But just based on what is what we see here, I believe there are some, are some motives that are implied uh, that, Haz, that Haziel had. I want to just point a few of those out to you. When you and I choose to follow our way, instead of God's way, there are ulterior motives. There are certain motives. There's a reason why we're not following God's way. And those reasons are listed here for Haziel. First, Haziel had the motive of evil intent. Verse 12, Elisha said, I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. He had evil intent in his heart. If someone were to stare at you tonight, and God would allow them to have revelation into your heart, insight into your heart. What, what would that person see? Would that person see a heart filled with greed, longing for money, longing for power, longing for position? Would that person see a heart full of anger? Would that person see a heart full of bitterness? Would that person see a heart full of unforgiveness? Would that heart see would that person see a heart filled with ungodly, lustful, adulterous thoughts, what, what, what would that person see? Is there evil intent in your heart? There was in Haziel's. Haziel's next motive is seen in verse 13. Haziel tried to position himself as less than Elisha. He said, you know, my, um, my Lord, what, what, what am I? I'm, I, I, I'm your servant. I, I'm a dog. He refers to himself as a dog. And dogs were generally seen as pests during this day rather than pets as we, as we have dogs today. So Hazial was making a self-deprecating remark. He was a commoner. He was not from royal descent, which is probably why he's referring to himself in that way. He's saying, I, I don't have any authority. I'm just a lowly commoner. How, how could I do something like that? His, his, his motive here is a reputation protector. He's trying to protect his reputation. He's already been plotting and scheming what he's going to do, but he doesn't want anybody else to know it yet, especially Elisha. So he's trying to protect his reputation. Is, is, is your reputation uh, an idol to you? Will, will you lie to protect your reputation to make yourself look better? You see, that was if you, if you have that motive of I will do anything to protect my reputation, then there's no telling what, what we'll do. Uh, that, that, was, that was Haziel. His third motive is seen in verse 14. He departed from Elisha. It says, then he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? Notice he only tells him half of the the story. And he answered, he told me that you would certainly recover. Well, that was the first part, but he didn't tell the king the second part. He didn't tell him, well, he's going to recover, but he's going to die. He he left out that part. He He didn't tell him. And so the third motive we see here is selfish ambition. Notice how quickly Hazael left the scene. As soon as Elisha said, you're going to be king, he was gone. Maybe he'd been plotting and scheming and just waiting for that day as a commoner. And then as soon as Elisha spoke it, you're going to be king, he was gone. He thought, now is my moment. I've been waiting, and now here it is. I'm not going to delay anymore. Why wait on anyone else's timing? I'm going to choose my time. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to help this prophecy along. And so he goes right back to the king. He schemed, he plotted, he maneuvered, and now he's going to take the position of king. A.W. Tozer wrote this some years ago. A true and safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead, but is forced into a position of leadership by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of the external situation. Such were Moses and David and the Old Testament prophets. I think there was hardly a great leader from Paul to the present day, but was drafted by the Holy Spirit for the task and commissioned by the Lord of the church to fill a position he had little heart for. I believe it might be accepted as a fairly reliable rule of thumb that the man who is ambitious to lead is disqualified as a leader. There's one more motive in verse 15. The next day, Haziel took the bedcloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over the king's face till he died. He most likely smothered the king to death. He murdered him. The cloth was thick, and when it got wet, it made it, made it impossible to breathe through. So maybe Haziel thought the king, well, he's going to die anyway, so let me, I'm just going to help him along. The king, or Haziel, hid the murder weapon, the cloth, and he made it look like the king died a natural death. It's not clear how Haziel actually became king, but nonetheless, at the end of verse 15, and Haziel became king in his place. He would rule for about 40 years. And those prophecies of Elisha, you read on through here, God would use Haziel and Syria to bring destruction upon the people of God for their idolatry. The last motive I see in Haziel is that he desired power. He desired power. He wanted that position of king. And so he found his, his chance and his moment and he murdered the king in order to get it. He wanted to have it his way, his way right now. Get it done. And that's, that's what he did. I wanna share with you quickly two application points based on this second story. First, Elisha was not drawn to material things and neither should we. Elisha was not drawn to material things and neither should we. This is the second time Elisha was offered gifts. Remember back when Naaman offered him gifts in 2 Kings 5, it said Elisha would not accept them. And here here comes 40 camels worth of gifts and goods and Elisha doesn't even acknowledge them. We're not even told that he even said anything about it. And I believe he had just gotten to the point of his life, he doesn't need that. He doesn't have to have it. I, I bet he saw it and just said, didn't even, I'm not even going to acknowledge that because I I don't need it. I don't have to have it. God is enough for me. And there ought to be that time. We ought to be at that place as Christians. We say, you know, I don't have to have all that. I I don't need it. God has has met my daily needs. He's given me my daily bread. And that's that's just all I need. I'm not drawn to material things. Second, Elijah wept over evil and we should too. Elijah wept over evil. We should too. He was burdened over evil. He was not apathetic. He didn't laugh. It wasn't funny. He wept because God's people would experience judgment. Elijah here is a picture of Jesus. Remember Jesus we lamenting over Jerusalem. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you, but but you were not willing. You see that Jesus came and some people received him, but. The majority of the people rejected him. They didn't receive him. And so he, he lamented it. It burdened him. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or is he just a good man, a good, a good teacher, a good prophet? But he's not your Lord. He's not your Savior. You See, tonight, Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to be your Savior, but he also wants to be Lord of your life. So if you have never received him as your savior, please do that now. And if you'd made that decision years ago, my question is, is he Lord? Is he on the throne of your heart right now? Is he calling the shots every day? Are you living according to his timing or are you living according to your timing? It's completely different, but you have the choice. You can choose his way. It may involve waiting. It may involve waiting for years but his way is always the best way. George Walters uh, could have chosen his own way. He could have chosen his timing. George was at work one morning. He was a crane operator, but this was not just any morning. This was December 7th, 1941. It was the day Pearl Harbor was invaded and, and attacked by the Japanese. And George was 50 feet up in the air in his crane, right by the USS Pennsylvania. He was one of the first ones to see the Japanese coming in to attack the Americans. But George decided not to go his own way. He could have easily come down from the crane really quick and said, I'm out of here. By the way, he was a civilian, he wasn't a military man. But instead of doing that, George used his opportunity to fight for something bigger than himself, his country. So he took his crane and. He, he, he first he alerted the soldiers that the Japanese or the enemies coming in. And then he took his crane. And he began waving it back and forth over the, the ship, trying to protect it. And the soldiers beneath got behind the guns and they looked up and they couldn't see the Japanese planes. And so George took his, his crane. And he began pointing out exactly where they were. So they knew where to shoot. And about that time, shortly after a 500 pound bomb came and and landed right by George's crane. It damaged it, George almost fell, but thankfully he was okay. George stayed in the fight. He didn't choose his own way. And many people think because of George, one reason at least, the USS Pennsylvania remained somewhat intact. You see, George survived the attack and continued operating cranes until 1950. He could have had his own way that December morning, but he chose not to, thankfully. He chose to live for something bigger than himself. He chose to live for his country. What about you? Are you choosing to live for yourself? Or are you choosing to live for something much, much bigger? It's not a something, it's a someone. Are you choosing to live for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you choosing to live his way? His way is always the best way even if it involves waiting. Would you pray with me? Father, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts, Lord. And I would imagine there's some listening tonight, Lord, that are maybe they're in the midst of a struggle. They're trying to make a decision. Maybe it involves a house or a job or a child and... They don't have an answer from You and they're tempted to go their own way. And I pray, Father, they would wait upon Your timing. They would wait upon Your Word because Your way is always the best way. And there's provision when we will obey You. So I pray they would submit to Your, your way no matter what's going on. And I pray You'd give them grace and strength in the waiting. Give them this, just the, the gift of Your presence, Father, Your peace, that they might know that You're with them. Father, for for the person who has been waiting and has never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray they would do that now and they would know the joy of forgiveness and the joy of your presence that comforts us. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you'd minister to souls tonight, draw people to Jesus in Christ's name. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for your time and for joining us tonight. We have a special Sunday Coming up this Sunday, Pastor uh, Joe from Mount Hilliard Baptist Church will be our guest uh, preacher. Our pastor will be here, but Pastor Joe will be preaching. Uh, You'll want to be here. It's going to be a fabulous Sunday. We look forward to seeing you then. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.